the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, in the midst of the passion about COVID, what's the importance of Christian empathy? And then we're joined by Sarah Zylstra to talk about the Gospel Coalition's new podcast recorded, Remembering 9-11. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. Hope everybody is doing well. Aubrey, uh, your book just came out. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but you took yesterday off, kind of trying to relax. What's the aftermath of a book launch like? How are you holding up today? Oh, man. I mean, you don't want to talk for a long time about it because I'll talk about it for hours. <laughs> no, I I am just grateful. I'm grateful to the Lord. The book launched really, really well. I was able to do an Instagram live yesterday with Christine Kane, which you can go on her Instagram page and watch it now. And over 35,000 people have viewed it. And that's moved book <laughs> sales up. And I'm just praising God because that's honestly not something I could have like uh, made happen or manipulate like that is God's kindness to me that I don't deserve and kindness yeah. to this book. And so I, I am exhausted, but in the best way. Oh, that's so thank great. you. And thank you for asking. Can you imagine having like being no. Christine Kane? We're like, I'm going to no. do an Instagram live 35,000 no. people. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how she carries that pressure. It actually reminded me to pray for her because she has over a million followers. And I thought, you know oh what? My gosh. That's a lot of eyes and a lot of judgment and a lot of, critique and a lot of pushback and a lot of support as well. But people, I think sometimes we need to remember those big influencers need prayer because right. they are at the forefront of a lot. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, we're happy for you. And, Thank and you. Now the, and now just the money rolls in. So we're good. We're, we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, nothing changes. My kids were like, Mom, why don't we have waffle syrup this morning? I'm like, don't you know who I am? I'm a famous author. Nope. I still have to go to the store. I still have to run errands. <laughs> I like to pull that one on my kids. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, obviously, at the forefront of everybody's mind at currently, uh, sadly, is still COVID and all the craziness mm. that is yeah. restarting around the pandemic. Aubrey, uh, yesterday, I think it was, I'm losing track of my days, I was with this pastor's group I meet with monthly, and a lot of our discussion was just literally what is going on in our churches, in our cult? Like, because we're all going through the same things. And it was a reminder that like, okay, we're still in the midst of just some craziness. And part of it that I want to have a little bit of conversation with for specifically for the Christians is the increased Aubrey that I would say is just in meanness and in mm-hmm. uh, p- polarization. I want to give you three examples and then I want to just get your kind of take on it. The first, and this was a viral video that's going around out of Tennessee, because everything seems to happen out of Tennessee right now. Uh, it's this little speech I want you to hear uh, of a of a high school student at a school board meeting. And every bad thing seems to be happening at school board meetings right now. But it was this high school student at a school board meeting uh, trying to say that they should be in masks 
and he talks about the death of his grandma. Let's listen to this short clip here. Additionally, I'm worried about my family. If I get COVID, I'm going to bring it to my family. And I talk to my grandparents a lot. They're higher risk than me, so I don't want to give them COVID. This time last year, my grandmother, who was a former teacher at the Rutherford County School System, died of COVID because someone wasn't wearing a mask. This is a very... This is a very... This is a... Hey, guys. We're here to act professional. Please, just sir, go ahead. Thank you. This is an avoidable issue, and by not wearing masks in schools, it's irresponsible. We're killing people. This is not something that we should be doing for the education of our students. Thank you. All right, Aubrey, the reason I wanted to show that is because in the background are two women holding uh, let our kids smile signs. And when the kid says that his grandma died because other people weren't wearing masks, they laughed and they mocked him. <gasps> that was rough to hear. Yes, that's a high school kid. Mm. You could disagree with the fact of what he's saying about the mask, the lack of masking killed my grandma. Uh, but they mocked him right there. And if there was how many more of these aren't on video? Okay, but if you just think it's the anti-mask people that are the problem, let me go to uh, late night host Jimmy Kimmel and what he says should happen to unvaccinated Americans who get sick. Let's listen to this. The number of new cases is up more than 300 percent from a year ago. Dr. Fauci said that if hospitals get any more overcrowded, they're going to have to make some very tough choices about who gets an ICU bed. That choice doesn't seem so tough to me. Vaccinated person having a heart attack? Yes, come right on in. We'll take care of you. Unvaccinated guy who gobbled horse goo? Rest in peace, Wheezy. You're... All right, Aubrey, there's Jimmy Kimmel's point. If you're unvaccinated, you should be left to die. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand what's going on right now. That's like what saying if you don't is... wear a seatbelt and you right. get in a car accident... We shouldn't help it's you. It's your like, fault for dying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you, you could just think people are dumb for not taking the vaccine, but to say they should not be helped is no. like next cold. level lack that is of empathy. Brutal cold. Yes. Yes. Then let me bring up one more. And then okay. I just would like your take on all of these collectively of who we are as a people. I got an email yesterday uh, from a, a local Christian or this is a very Christian organization a local Christian organization uh, talking about our governor and his mask mandate. And it referred to him as, quote, our 400 pound fat governor. Oh, my word. This was a mass. This was a mass email that went to ministry people, Christians in our area promoting their event. It wasn't like, hey, we have to protest. It was it was trying to explain why they have to require masks at their event. Again, you could think our governor is so wrong for the mask mandate mm. and other decisions. But here's my question, Aubrey, and I, I apologize to some of you for continually going back to this, but I think this is one of the most important things for the church to wrestle with right now. The lack of empathy and civility in our greater culture and in our church culture right now, uh, there, let me not be flippant about this, but I'll say it this way. Anyway, there's a pandemic of jerkiness. 
and a pandemic <laughs> of good. meanness right now yeah, that yeah. Aubrey, I fear is seeping into the church or maybe not seeping. Maybe it's rushing like a flood into the church mm. and it can't continue. So as or you it's hear coming these from stories, the church. I mean, yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. So as you hear these stories and all that, we could have done 10,000 stories like this right now. What are you feeling as you just kind of see this, in my opinion, growing around us? I mean, <laughs> you know how there's that I can't think of what the 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 scientific force is, but that everything moved towards moves towards entropy. I feel like mm. we're seeing that happen. Like humanity is just hell bent on destroying itself and hurting each other. And I think that this is embarrassing. I think it is for the Christian. It's ruining our witness. And we cannot even if you disagree with someone. Yes. We cannot, as Christians, resort to insulting the Imago Dei, the image of God. Like, this is foundational to who we are as Christians that we honor and dignify the other, our strangers, our neighbors, and our enemies because of the fact that God has loved us while we were his enemies. And I, Mm. I think this is embarrassing, wrong, sinful pathetic i mean i just i think Mm -hmm. it's awful and you know jimmy kimmel i don't think he's a christian i don't know Mm -mm. so i you know i can't hold him to the same standard i'm going to hold followers of jesus to but if you are a follower of jesus and you are mocking people who have lost loved ones or you are mocking anyone for how they look because you disagree with them that is not of the lord that is of the enemy and i am telling you like we have got to do a better job because our witness for the gospel is at stake right now Oh, tired Aubrey is fired up today. That's, I'm, so, uh, I'm just mad about it. <laughs> I feel so much the same way. And that's why I wanted to start there. It's like our friend Jim Dennison. He wrote that book, Respectfully, I Disagree, and all about the need for civility. This isn't about the uh, – this is not a call to agreement. You could be vehemently opposed to masks or vaccines. You could be vehemently opposed to those – uh, who are against vaccine. You could be so pro-vaccine and mass. That's not what we're saying That's here. That's not what we're saying Democrat, at all. Democrat, Republican, whatever else it is. But it doesn't give you a license in the name of Jesus to be a jerk. And, yeah. it is, uh, and it is such an important topic right now, Aubrey, because as you said, this is our gospel witness. Less, less about what we say and more about how we say it and how we treat people. And I think you almost said it jokingly, but I think you're right. This isn't about seeping into the church. Sometimes this feels like it's starting with the church. Yes. And uh, and it just has to stop. So if that's you out there, uh, let me say lovingly in the name of Jesus, look in the mirror, repent and stop. Just there stop being like that and start being somebody who's civil in your disagreements. Well, coming up next, this is a big week in our country as we remember 20 years since the terrible events of 9-11. We're going to talk to Sarah Zylstra, our friend at the Gospel Coalition, as the Gospel Coalition has a new podcast coming out called Recorded, Remembering 9-11. We're going to talk to Sarah next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm, and Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined again by one of our good friends here at The Common Good. She's the senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition, also co-author of a book called Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. That's Sarah Zylstra. Sarah, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing really well, and... 
Sarah, this is a big week, as we said, in uh, in our nation, 20 year, which is just crazy. It's the 20 year anniversary or the remembrance of those terrible events of September 11th, 2001. Uh, and with that anniversary coming up at the Gospel Coalition, there's a brand new podcast called Recorded that's going to launch with a two part miniseries called Remembering 9-11. And so, Sarah, let's just start there. Uh, why this podcast? Why are you guys launching this uh, about remembering 9-11? And then maybe tell us a little bit about the podcast. Not too much. We want people to go listen to it. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the podcast. Yeah. So we've been wanting for a while to do a narrative podcast because it's just such a great way to tell stories. Mm -hmm. um, you can hear the emotion. You can put in the sound effects. It just gives a whole nother texture to what you're talking about and makes it more real. Um, and it, and I think things sort of came together about back in the spring. We were talking about how we were going to you know, approach 9-11, you know, it's coming the 20th mm -hmm. anniversary. Mm -hmm. um, and we wanted, we, I was kind of thinking like, man, could we talk to like, Pastors like John Piper and Tim Keller and Mark Dever. I mean, Mark was in Washington, D.C. Tim was in um, New York, four miles from this. Like, how wow. did this affect them? How did these pastors who we trust um, think through leading their congregations through something like 9-11? And then um, along the way, we met a girl named Christina Stanton, whose story is phenomenal. She was living in New York with her husband. Um, they lived in an apartment there on the 24th floor, just six blocks from the World Trade Center. And so they ran out onto the, they had like a balcony um, that they ran out on after the first plane hit so they could sort of see, you know, what's going on over here. And the uh, the second plane came over their shoulders mm -hmm. um, and the impact of it knocked them out and threw them back into their apartment. And so it, we wow. sort of, to yeah. hear her story um, just made us think like, gosh, to, you know, to follow her that day, all the, the, the struggles they had to try and escape from Manhattan, they were trapped for a while. And through all of this, also for her was a time of um, finding the Lord. Um, she hmm. had drifted from her faith and so had her husband. And yet through this whole experience, brought them back to the church, which hmm. was in God's providence, Redeemer, which is Tim Keller's church. Wow. So everything seemed like it was weaving together in this story of like, could we tell the story of where was God in 9-11? And I mean, my job is to find places where God is at work in the world. And sometimes it's, most of the times it's pretty easy. You can see like clearly God's spirit is here, but could we look at something as dark as 9-11 and see the Lord in it? And um, of course you can, you can see God in everything. So it's amazing to be able to tell the story of God at work, even in such a dark day. Mm, that's so amazing. So I can't wait to listen to it. So one of the things that um, you've talked about is, you know, here we are 20 years later, the global church was forever changed after 9-11. And I wonder if you could maybe give us a little example of that. In the podcast, we dive a little bit into how the American church was changed, which I know um, changes things globally as well. But one thing that was really interesting that Keller talks about is um, how after 9-11, before 9-11, religion in America was pretty high. Um, people in the 90s, it was already starting to shift, but like 70% of people went to church or, or claimed they had a home church at least. So that was a pretty high. Our whole culture, the, the religion was pretty thick. That's what the word that Keller uses. But after 9-11, um, you know, it was religious extremists who did this. And all mm. of a sudden it seemed dangerous to be too religious. Um, religion, you know, was no longer Mother Teresa. The face of religion is now 
you know, a, a terrorist. Mm. And so that changed things. Um, there was a, a growth of these guys. They, they were called the new atheists. It was think like Richard Dawkins, yeah. um, and Christopher Hitchens, just this, these guys who wrote and were evangelizing for atheism and warning against the dangers of religion and, and believing too much in something. Mm. Um, so it's sort of interesting to see how those rose. And then of course, Tim Keller wrote the reason for God in response to those guys. And so it was sort of a, um, this back and forth that arose out of that. But I think you can definitely um, trace America's own declining religion. I think 9-11 had a, played a big part in that. Yeah. Sarah, uh, I was telling you off air, I love watching 9-11 shows and reading about it. And a lot of people do. Why do you think, is it just the immense nature of the tragedy? Or do you think there's some other reason why 9-11 uh, still lingers? Like it's still, people still talk about it. It still has an impact 20 years later. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's sort of, it's our Pearl Harbor, right? Or our JFK assassination. Um, it's like it, a defining moment for our whole generation, something that was so immense and horrific that you couldn't look away and it just seared itself into you. Everybody remembers where they were and what they were doing then. Um, and I think it's just, it's a moment. One guy was talking to us like, it's a moment where you sort of grow up. Um, you know, you sort of grapple with the reality of, of the world not being as it should and evil being real. So I think there's sort of, there's, there's just a moment for everybody when they remember that. And I think it'll fade too. Like we were talking about your son a little bit, but I think the next generation will have its own 9-11 as mm. well. Mm -hmm. mm. I think you're probably right about that, Sarah. Sarah, um, give us some details. Like where can people listen? When will this actually launch? And then what are some of the other stories you'll be sharing in the podcast? Yeah. So it's out already. If you go to the Gospel Coalition um, on our front page, you'll be able to see it. There, there's two episodes. So they're both out. Just make sure that you listen to them in the right order. First click on episode <laughs> yes. one and then click on episode two. Yep. And that'll get you through the, the whole story. So that has already been released. We are still um, in process of other stories that we are going to release on this, but we, we took the name recorded from the verse in the Bible that says, let it be recorded for the next generation the deeds that the Lord has done. And so that's our hope for this is that it would be able to tell like, this is our, our recording of what is God doing? Um, and, and so hopefully we'll be able to tell a lot of other stories. Um, maybe sneak peek. We were kind of thinking about how can we tell stories about where God was in the pandemic, even mm. in the hospitals during the pandemic, um, or like other places where God, um, kind of the stuff I do in my print stories, right? Like this is a place where God is at work and we're going to record it for the next generation. That's great, Sarah. I love a good podcast. I, I've joked with Aubrey. That's what I do. I mow the lawn, put the headphones yep. on, listen to a podcast. And so we are super excited for it again. Again, you can go to the Gospel Coalition's website and find Recorded. Uh, right now, the two episodes that are out are called Remembering 9-11. We'd encourage you to go there. And as a reminder, Sarah writes at the Gospel Coalition. She's senior writer and faith and work editor at the Gospel Coalition. And also pick up her book, Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an anxious age. Sarah, it's always fun. We appreciate how much time you spend with us and we hope the podcast goes great. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are so thrilled because we are joined by a friend of mine, 
and our writer and photographer, Dorothy Littell Greco. She lives outside Boston, and she is the author of a book called Marriage in the Middle, Embracing Midlife Surprises, Challenges, and Joy. So much to talk about with you, Dorothy. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, For our listeners who may not be familiar with you or your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I live in the Boston area where I came to go to college in 1981, and I've never left. I currently work as a photographer and writer. And my husband, Christopher, and I recently celebrated our 30th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. That was momentous. And we have three grown sons between the ages of 27 and 22. And Christopher and I spend uh, a lot of time doing long-term healing and discipleship groups, Mm -hmm. marriage and premarital classes, marriage coaching, And when I'm not working, I love to travel when that's possible, Um, kayak and go for long walks, have friends over for meals and read good books. Oh, that's great. And Dorothy, uh, this book, Marriage in the Middle, I think is such an important topic, kind of Mm -hmm. about, um, you know, kind of the midlife of your marriage. I've been married over 20 years now uh, to my wife. And so how is it that marriage is you know, as they've been married for a long time, kind of, you know, 20, 30 years can, uh, as you said, can thrive instead of just kind of survive and, and go along. How do we thrive at that stage of marriage? Well, I think it's multifaceted, right? It's not just one simple thing, but part of it is uh, living in reality, not ejecting out or being in denial about the things that are hard or the places where you're struggling. So that's one of the the ways that Christopher and I like to talk to people is um, really press into the places that are hard rather than ignoring them. Um, Supporting each other well, figuring out what does that look like because it's static. It changes over time. You know, the support that we needed when we were in our 20s is, looks very different than when we're in our 50s. So mm-hmm. we have to constantly be uh, keeping track of each other's needs and weaknesses and strengths so that we can come alongside of each other well. And then finally, I think for us to be really doing our spiritual work, and by that I mean uh, forgiving each other for the places where we've hurt each other, um, choosing to grow, having a growth mindset rather than being stagnant. Mm. And all of those things put together will help us to have a marriage that's uh, robust and flourishing rather than one that feels just kind of meh. Oh, I love that. Dorothy, do you have a story from your marriage? You said you just celebrated 30 years of marriage, a story of, you know, your marriage in the middle, like you're writing about that could be encouraging for our listeners. Do you mean an area of struggle that we've triumphed or? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, let's hear that. Let's hear an area of struggle so that we can all relate. But then, you know, something that maybe God has done in the middle of that. Yeah, I think that a few years ago, Christopher and I really hit uh, a pretty significant wall. Um, it wasn't connected to what was happening between us, our interpersonal dynamics, but we faced a season where his mom died very quickly from pancreatic cancer. Um, our eldest son went off to college. So we were, you know, dealing with the, the loss of his being present to our lives. And then, um, the church that we had been part of where Christopher was on staff, uh, took a, took a shift that we didn't feel comfortable with. And so he had to resign. Mm-hmm. So there we were with two kids in college living in an, an incredible, uh, you know, very expensive area of the country. And he had no job lined up. So in that season, you know, we had to really face our limitations. We had to face our fears. We had to really pull together as a team in a way that we never had to in the past. And in the midst of that, I think, um, you know, really leaning into our community, asking for help where we needed help, 
uh, going to counseling because we both did that in the season, and then really just choosing to trust God in ways that we haven't had to in the past. So all of those things together helped us to not only get through that season, but to come out of that season feeling more in love and Mm. more convinced that we had made the right choice than ever before. Mm. And Dorothy, part of that stage, I think you've described it as where you guys are at now. I'm getting ready in another year to send my oldest off to college. Mm. Uh, and so there feels like this new season that ends up with you being in an in, in empty nester, right? No kids at home. How did that change your marriage? And, and how can couples move into that empty nest midlife season and again, thrive in it instead of it just being so sad? Well, I think there's nothing that exposes your limitations or the fault lines in your marriage quite like sitting across the table from the same person night after night. (laughs) That's true. So seriously, you know, when our our youngest son went off to school, uh, you know, dinner time is when we felt it the most. Mm. Um, Our youngest son in particular is very gregarious, very extroverted, um, really an enjoyable person to be with. And, you know, suddenly he's not there anymore. And the conversation could wane at times. We could sort of look at each other and think like, oh, gosh, what are we going to talk about tonight? Um, So, you know, that disorientation that's so common in midlife is something that we all have to reckon with. And maybe, you know, there are folks out there who are listening who don't even have kids, but they're still going to have to wrestle with the fact that life changes, life shifts. We lose our parents mostly during this mm-hmm. time frame, and we have to face the losses. And, and uh, you know, Aubrey, as you wrote about in your, in your last book, we have mm-hmm. to learn how to lament and yeah. mourn and yeah. grieve the things that are no more rather than, again, just pretend that it doesn't matter or to numb ourselves. Yeah. So living in reality talking about, you know, gosh, this is harder than I thought it would be um, in some ways. But then in other ways, like, you know, honestly, sexual intimacy is a whole lot easier when there's no kids in the house anymore. Hmm. <laughs> Dorothy, um, I'm thinking a little bit about other changes that happen as we grow older. Kevin and I have been married for 20 years. We're in our 40s now. Our kids are getting older. And, you know, something that we have gone through is just physical changes. Like mm-hmm. I've dealt with chronic illness. Yes. Kevin is, you know, his back aches, like just things that we <laughs> didn't deal with when we were younger. And I wonder how you feel like physical changes impact our marriage and our relationship as we grow. Yeah, that's really important. You know, we're no longer walking around in a 30 year old body. Yeah. Um, there was this great quote that I read by humorist Dave Barry a couple years ago about midlife being the time period when you can throw your back out watching Netflix. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, he is so right. Much of what's happening is connected to the normal wear and tear, but then we also have the dropping hormone levels. And as our hormone levels drop, and that happens for men too, it's just a more gradual process that only becomes noticeable typically when they're in their late 40s or 50s. But our, our strength gradually diminishes, our hair begins to to gray and fall out. You know, women go through menopause and men go through andropause. Um, there's mental health issues. Uh, depression is the highest mm. in the United States for people who are in the late 40s and, and women more so than men. So we really, again, have to be paying attention to each other's mental health, uh, each other's physical health, and encourage each other to seek help. Um, you know, if depression is present, uh, my husband, I don't know if he, he seems to be a little bit more typical with regard to going to doctors. He's very resistant. And, and recently, you know, I kept saying to him, I really think you have sleep apnea. And he mm. would deny it, deny it, deny it. And finally, <laughs> I recorded him sleeping one night. <laughs> 
And he was mortified. But that's the thing that prompted him to go to the doctors. And lo and behold, he does have sleep apnea. So now, you know, he's using a CPAP machine, which I hate, but he doesn't, he's not so exhausted all the time. So by helping each other and paying attention to what we're seeing and what we're noticing, and then again, uh, choosing to extend grace, you know, because like Aubrey, I have long-term physical uh, health issues. And for me, one of the ways that that manifests is I have a a lot of trouble sleeping. So Mm. um, as I've aged and gone through menopause, it's actually gotten worse. Mm. So Christopher has to choose, you know, to not be frustrated with me when I say, you know what, I'm really sorry, we can't go out to dinner tonight, Mm. because I'm just too tired. Um, So there's a lot of negotiation that happens, a lot of extending grace to each other, and really just being um, merciful with ourselves and with each other so that we're not um, coming against each other as we age. Uh, Dorothy, that's so important. We'd encourage people to go out to get marriage in the middle. Uh, as we close this out, Dorothy, where can people connect with you? Where can they find, where can they get your books? Where can they learn more about the marriage retreats and workshops you can do? How can people find out more about you? All, all of that's on my website. So it's Dorothy Greco with one C.com. There's the links to buy the book, uh, lots and lots of articles that they could read if they want to learn more about my perspective. And then also uh, you can contact me there about speaking. Dorothy Latell Greco is a writer and photographer who lives outside Boston. She's the author of Making Marriage Beautiful and a new book that we've been talking about, Marriage in the Middle, Embracing Midlife Surprises, Challenges, and Joys. Be sure to pick a a copy for yourself and maybe for a friend who's dealing with marriage in the middle right now. Dorothy, thanks so much for being here with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're so thankful that you're here with us today. We are joined by very special guest, Joanne Brada. She's the executive director of Hopeful Beginnings of St. Mary's and the host of Hopeful Beginnings, heard on Sundays at 12 p.m. right here on AM 1160. And we are so thrilled to talk with Joanne about the ministry, Hopeful Beginnings, and a big upcoming event. So, Joanne, thanks so much for being here with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you in the ministry, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. Um, So I am the executive director of Hopeful Beginnings of St. Mary's, and we are located in Palatine, um, although I will tell you that we do all of our counseling uh, virtually. So we do telehealth counseling, and I'm sure we'll get into all of the other kinds of things that we do. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start there, Joanne. What, is, what are the things that Hopeful Beginnings do and who are the people uh, who are, bo- are, are most ministered to by your organization? Sure. Um, we actually do adoption services. So we help women with unplanned pregnancies, first of all, decide what do they want to do. And we take a long time with this because it's a very big decision. And should they decide to place for adoption, then We work with them throughout the process, labor and delivery, we're there, postpartum, and they pick a family and to raise their child with knowing that it's open adoption and they will see the baby uh, several times a year if they wish. And then we also have gotten into postpartum depression counseling, prenatal, anxiety, depression, and you know, it's really escalated our other counseling department because 
so much has been happening since COVID with all of the isolation. Wow, I bet yeah. that's true. And yeah, and then grief over a lost pregnancy, mm. which we really spend a lot of time on one-on-one. We also do um we also do transitioning to motherhood for those who really aren't quite sure, kind of think they know, but really would like to have a mentor. So we have social workers doing all this counseling. We also have a bilingual counselor, Spanish, and we have a baby closet and case management and also a comprehensive teen parenting program in one of the largest school districts in the Northwest suburban area. Wow, that sounds amazing, Joanne. Again, you can find out more about Hopeful Beginnings at hopefulbeginning.org. Joanne, how did you get involved with this organization? Well, actually, I used to be the teen parenting coordinator and school nurse over at Rolling Meadows High School Mm. in District 214. And I actually used to refer girls to see people about adoption. And I met the people from Hopeful Beginnings and I fell in love with them. They were different than any other adoption agency I had worked with. And I loved their style. They would take the Mm -hmm. girls out after school to McDonald's and talk with them and really cared about them and contacted me as the nurse a lot. Mm -hmm. And so when I retired from the school district, um, everything was great because I was doing teen parenting on a part-time basis. My life was wonderful. And then I received a call to have coffee. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> that changed your life forever. It did. It did. And so um, they asked me to be director. And um, it's been a love affair since. And mm. I'm passionate about what we do. I love our staff. I have the best staff in the whole world. They're They're just... They have hearts on their faces. So it's a joy to come to work on a daily basis. That's great. And Joanne, I'd love to talk to you more about adoption because when we, you know, a lot of in the news, there's all the conversations about abortion. And we always talk about adoption being the alternative for people out there who may be considering feeling led, feeling tugged towards adoption, towards adopting a baby or a child. uh, What would you tell them? What are the things they should be thinking about? And ultimately, what are the benefits and the joys of adoption? Well, the benefits and joys, um, I can really say, is that you get to see your baby when you'd like to. Mm. You can't face it at that point in time. We offer counseling before, during, and after, and even years down the road. I personally did counseling with a young woman for three years. She is so well-adjusted. She makes a date with her uh, adoptive family to see her little girl. She Mm -hmm. goes there every three weeks. It's really joyful. I love that. No guilt, no anything. I mean, because... Yeah, you go through you go through some sadness and think, okay, what did I do? But then they come back into counseling and you remind them of why they did it, yeah. what their words were, because it's their decision, not ours. Mm, that is so powerful. I love I love that uh, just model of ministry, that grace there. I think that's amazing, Joanne. So you have a big event coming up on October 23rd. Can you tell our listeners more about that and how they can get invited or maybe sign up to join? Absolutely. I would be honored. We are having a virtual um, gala this year. And when I say virtual, you say, okay, about an hour on screen. Um, 
But here's the wonderful thing. You also can either do this at home with a couple of friends. You can have friends over and have your own party and we will cater it for you. Oh, you cool. it's it's us outstanding. Of course it's Italian food. You can <laughs> tell I am. <laughs> and it's delicious because we've had it before last year. And um also we're having silent auctions um through the week prior. And also we are gonna have a live auction offering so many trips. Um, an Ottawa cottage on the river. Two huge homes are being offered in Michigan. There's Montana, Kentucky Bourbon, uh, Sanibel, Florida. We're, you know, Italy, Mallorca, Spain, Ireland, uh, the French Riviera, you name it. We have it. And, uh, along with other wonderful things, we even offer, um, a trip to the Abbey, which is local. And we tried to make it drivable if people aren't comfortable using planes at this point. So there's lots to choose from. And also there's Waterford and jewelry and all kinds of things that you could grow to love. Yes. <laughs> well, Joanne, that sounds fabulous. Can you remind people? Uh, the money raised at the gala, what does it go towards? How does it help your organization? Absolutely. First of all, birth moms uh, a lot of times are homeless. And so we need to find them safe housing. And we use that money towards safe housing. Oftentimes they don't have food. So we give them gift cards to get food and take them to get food. Um, transportation, if they're in Chicago, because we we actually do our services all over Illinois. So um, if there's a bus company that they like to use, we will put that towards a, a card that they can get around and get to doctor's visits. We also take them to doctor's visits. Mm. The other uh, women really need uh, things to have a family with. And so uh, we put our baby closet together. So it's things that people really need in order to have a baby. We do formula. We do some some uh, baby food, coats during the winter, those kinds of things. And we're doing more and more counseling. And I can't even tell you, I mean, the the statistics for us, they're off the charts because they're all free. They're mm. all free counseling. I mean, most other places are on a sliding scale yeah. or they charge a certain amount. And we don't because we know that the difficulty that the person is in. Oh, just absolutely love that. If you want to find out more about the Ministry of Hopeful Beginnings and the Making Virtual Miracles Happen 2021 Annual Gala, which takes place on October 23rd at 6 p.m. in the evening, go to hopefulbeginning.org. Again, that's hopefulbeginning.org. Joanne, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good here on AIM 1160. Hope for your life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. And Aubrey, as we talked about earlier in the show with Sarah Zylstra, uh, this is a big weekend, a big remembrance mm-hmm. uh, for those of us, uh, especially of a certain age. As this Saturday, it is mind-boggling to me that it is the 20-year anniversary of the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and Flight 93. Uh, 
my parents at the time were still living in oh, New Jersey. That must have been scary, Brian. It was just where I knew they weren't in the city, but right. it was like there was like this personal nature. And then I'll never forget uh, my parents calling. There was a guy uh, that we I grew up uh, more of my later years of like high school. There was this coolest guy at our church, right? His name was Jerry Paskins. Uh, he worked in the insurance industry. At that point, he had moved out to California, hmm. right? And so it's not like he worked in the World Trade Center, but he happened to be on business, if I get the story correct, mm. uh, at the World Trade Center on that day. And oh. he ended up dying in the North oh. Tower. And I remember it making this personal nature to this tragedy mm. because mm. you're like, this guy was like salt of the earth type of guy. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Yes. He was like. Uh, he, he, I, he, I remember him sending a note to Carrie and I how sorry he was that he couldn't come to our wedding. Like, oh. He was like this kind of like folk hero in our church. Oh. Like everybody loved Jerry. He was like, and I remember that this, this like personal nature in my mind going, man, like bad people killed somebody like Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> like it was yeah. just this, yeah. wow. uh, this really wow. humbling. And I always like to speak of him just to honor his Absolutely. legacy, like 20 years uh, later. But Aubrey, it does kind of bring up. You know, with tragedy, uh, you know, I've told you off air, like I've like this obsession with watching 9-11 documentaries and listening to podcasts and stuff. And ironically, Carrie and I's uh, son, our son Jackson, was born on September 11th in 2007. Oh, bless so his heart. Saturday is actually his birthday, his 14th birthday mm. uh, this weekend coming up. But uh, Aubrey, it does an event like 9-11, I don't think it trivializes it. I think it actually raises its importance to use it as a reminder that the Bible tells us bad things happen mm. and we don't know. We're not promised another day. I think what makes 9-11 mm. so hard, right, is all of the stories of people calling from the towers or uh, yes. going into it. Go, they, they just went to work that day. Yeah. Right? Like they just yeah. went. To, they got up. They got dressed. They went to work and they happened to get there before the plane hit and they happened mm. to work above mm. where it hit. Uh, it does remind us. And I do think pastorally as Christians, it's important for us on, on a tragedy like that to go. It reminds us again of that biblical truth, right, of the book of James that we're not promised another day. Yeah, that's that's so true. It does remind us of that. And it reminds us. I think there's some some beautiful things it reminds us of as well, because as many horrific stories, of course, we all saw the stories of heroes and we saw the stories of the resiliency of our country. And I, I know Kevin and I went to New York just a couple of years later and mm -hmm. the um, memorial wasn't built yet, but they were beginning to clean out the area. And everyone will remember this, the gates around where the twin towers were that were covered with notes and teddy bears oh, and flowers. Yeah. And there was something so painful and so beautiful about that at the same time, like mm -hmm. the country coming together, honoring this horrific tragedy, but then also bringing like love and beauty to that place. And I, I, you know, it's hard to wrap a bow around something night like yes. 9 11, but certainly like you said, Brian, just to remember that we are told that there will be bad things. You know, this is not a surprise to God. And ultimately, though it's devastating, it should not be a surprise to us. And to really kind of pause, I think, to remember and honor, but then also evaluate our own lives. Like, are we living for Christ? Are we investing in the people we love? Are we taking care of business in a way that if mm -hmm. we died or if something happened, there would be no regrets or no 
untied um, threads. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I think it's a good it's it's good to stop and remember and reflect. Yeah, I think that's really good. I wanted to talk about this today. I'm not going to be here tomorrow. So I wanted to reflect on it. And also, as we close this out, there was a unity as a country that. Yeah, uh, you're right. That, that we all miss. That we all You're right, miss. Brian. And yep. You might think it was a fake unity or just an emotional unity, but there was a unity yeah. that was deep yeah. and felt. Yeah. Uh, and so hopefully you can reflect upon these things. Don't just run through. I know it's on a Saturday this year and Saturdays are big. Don't just run through it. Take mm. time to reflect uh, this tragedy that happened 20 years ago, but in many ways is still such a fresh wound uh, for our country. So we wanted to spend some time reflecting on that. We're glad that you're joining us today. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.